Welcome to episode two of Urban Arena, a podcast about sustainable and just cities. I'm Ian Cook and I'm joined by Kate McGinn. How are you, Kate? And uh, more importantly, where are we? I have wet feet and we are standing outside the Hungarian parliament. And we're here not because we like to stand in large squares in the rain, or at least not only because we like to stand in large squares in the rain, but because today we're going to talk about failures of traditional governance structures. Exactly. When faced with the biggest challenges of our time, politicians and mainstream political parties have, by and large, failed to rise to this challenge. But, you know, we're not here to blame individual politicians or political parties as much fun as that might be, uh, but rather we're here to discuss the failures in existing structures of governance, not just here in Hungary, but pretty much everywhere when it comes to building just and sustainable futures. But who do you want to speak to about it? I'm guessing not a politician. Nah, rather someone who does something a bit different. I want to speak to someone who thinks about governance and how to transition to a sustainable future. So someone who works on transition management as governance approach? Exactly. And I know just the man. His name is Dirk Lorbach, or at least that's how I pronounce his name. And he's an expert on transition management as a governance approach. Uh, but he's in Rotterdam. He's not here. And he's at a real life urban arena. So you should go and meet him. I will. And the train, it leaves in 20 minutes. I'm going to sprint to Kelly train station. Bye. Bye. Hi. So uh, here I am on the train to Rotterdam. I made the train in time and I'm off to meet Dirk at the Urban Arena. Uh, but I didn't get time to read up on him before the interview, which is very unprofessional of me, I know. But the Wi-Fi here is really terrible. So I'm wondering, could you help me out? Absolutely. Dirk Wabach is director of DRIFT, the Dutch Research Institute for Transitions, and professor of socioeconomic transitions at the Faculty of Social Science, both at Erasmus University, Rotterdam. Dirk is one of the founders of the transition management approach as a new form of government for sustainable development. He has over 100 publications in this area and has been involved as an action researcher in numerous transition processes with government, business, civil society, and science. It's amazing how you had that just a hand just when I called you. Thanks so much, Kate. <laughs> Good luck. Okay, so uh, I'm standing here with um, Dirk Lohbach and we're surrounded by a lot of sort of very passionate, very noisy and very, um, yeah, hopefully inspirational um, um, change makers. Um, where, where are we right now? Yeah, we're in uh, Rotterdam, which is a city in the Netherlands, um, uh, specifically in the neighborhood co- called Katendrecht, which is a gentrifying area. And we're here in the Verhalenhuis Belvedere, which is a very historic place. Uh, of immigration, of, of cultural diversity, but it's also now a local initiative uh, by people from the neighborhood uh, that crowdfunded uh, um, uh, this building um, and, and to occupy it for social purposes. So a lot of cooking, a lot of communities coming together, and a lot of meetings. Uh, so it's, it's like being a guest in uh, the home of the, the people of Katendrecht. That's great. And what are all these guests doing? I mean, there's people from cities from all across Europe and they're all busily discussing stuff. What is it, what is it that they're talking about? Yeah, so they, they are all um, uh, working on, they're the fellows, as we call them, from the project uh, from Urbana. And, and they are all change makers, uh, uh, some in policy, some in, in local initiatives. Uh, on different topics, food, energy, water, whatever, uh, um, uh, trying to uh, create some kind of local, meaningful, transformative change. And the reason that they are here 
is that we can um, not only help them change experience, exchange experiences and uh, inspire each other and help each other, but also to see um, if there are lessons to be learned from all this local experimentation uh, towards maybe more generic uh, policy support or interventions or um, and to, to bring those local stories uh, to a higher level or maybe to a bigger audience. Well, as great as these people are and as interesting the topics and the ideas that they're discussing, it's a little bit too noisy, so let's make our way upstairs and then we can uh, have a proper discussion. So I'm very happy to welcome Dirk Lohrbach to uh, the Urban Arenas podcast. And uh, I want to dive straight in uh, and talk about, I guess, the, the thing which uh, occupies your um, waking uh, moments uh, because you're, um, you think about it a lot, and that's transition governance. Um, so what is it and, and, and why should we be thinking about it ourselves? Yeah, uh, very happy to be here, first of all. It's basically two things. One is mm-hmm. it's a, a philosophy of change and change makers. So it's it's a more analytical academic idea on on where change uh, uh, comes from and and how it is uh, organized mm-hmm. uh, but we also have a very practical uh, more applied uh, side uh, let's say action research and it's basically working uh, with change makers to um, try to experiment with ways on how to accelerate and guide sustainability transitions okay so it's transition from what into what well, the, ma- the main academic answer would be it's a transition away from an unsustainable situation. So the mm-hmm. idea of transition, it's not change in general, but it's a, a shift from a, a, a dynamic equilibrium to a completely different dynamic equilibrium. And this shift is always nonlinear. The basic insight uh, is that uh, in a societal system like energy or cities or mobility, mm-hmm. we've organized things in a particular way uh, that we cannot sustain indefinitely. So we know know about climate change and biodiversity loss. Those are symptoms of um, how we have organized our economy, basically, based Mm -hmm. on fossil fuels, on linear growth. We know on a finite planet that's not possible. And the idea is a transformative change um, potential builds up um, as this unsustainability increases. Um, and uh, th- there are two sides to it. One is uh, uh, becomes more and more problematic to continue business as usual. And on the other hand, more and more people start to explore alternatives. So they come up with new technologies, new lifestyles, new business models, new value systems, new concepts. Um, so that's why we find it so interesting that we don't have to think about the solutions, but there are people everywhere that are trying to constitute or build uh, up a new type of economy. Okay, so then uh, the tr- your I say the, then that's quite uh, on an abstract level. But then let's let's yep. be a bit more practical. Then it's like so. Then what you're doing is trying to find those people who are thinking about solutions or ideas in different localities and yep. find a way to to what to make that happen or to share or yeah. So basically, a transition is two two uh, uh, dynamics or two uh, uh, processes that work into each other. One is this increasing destabilization and and uh, disruption of the status quo, the regime uh-huh. as we call it. Mm-hmm. And on the other end, there's this buildup of alternatives in our jargon niches. Um, and the actual transition is when these two forces come together. And okay. it makes it very political and tense and also socially unstable and uncertain. So it's, it's uh, these, what then happens is uh, um, uncertainty increases and uh, 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 relatively short 
period of very chaotic uh, structural change uh, appears. Mm -hmm. And nobody is really in control, and certainly not in control of the outcomes and the direction. And the, the, the fundamental question is who is then in charge or who influences the outcomes and how can we then uh, empower and strengthen the mechanisms that uh, um, help us move towards more desired outcomes okay yeah uh, can make it practical but I, i'm uh, cautious uh, deliberately because it's it's also a search process where um, as an action researcher we should be also very open and humble with regards to predictions or find identifying solutions as better or uh, the best for sure because exactly you want to draw from the people who are responding to the societal changes themselves right and yes and mm -hmm. and they are often uh, uh, working on the solution these front runners or change mm -hmm. agents they they uh, also have always uh, have a mindset that that uh, is is about trying to uh, push a solution as action researchers, we um, look at these initiatives more as experiments. So they tell us something about how the regime works or doesn't work, mm -hmm. what motivates people to look for change, but also um, uh, on how these alternatives might work. And um, interestingly, these initiatives, um, they, they develop based on certain principles and mechanisms and tools that can travel. So what we see is a lot of these initiatives uh, um, are often very locally rooted and specific. At the same time, uh, they also collaborate across boundaries and often on a global scale in networks and they organize conferences and platforms and manuals and they travel from one place to another. So uh, we call that translocal uh, uh, diffusion, but it's it's. Um, we see uh, emerging global communities of transformative change. So you have, uh, I'm just trying to get um, an idea then, the types of groups who are trying to come up with, you know, solutions or ideas, or it's sometimes quite local or sometimes translocal. Is there any sort of shared characteristics of these groups? Are they coming from a certain social class or, you know, certain political environment? Or are we talking really more generally? Well, that's, uh, uh, you might say in general, there is this green bubble or mm -hmm. a progressive kind of higher educated uh, 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 people that are not struggling for survival, but have something to give. Uh, uh, but it's also in their character to give. So it's a, a, a particular, you could say it's a trans transformation elite. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm all for it. Uh, but uh, at the same time, uh, an actual transition implies mainstreaming. Um, and often these uh, innovations are, uh, we also define them as alternative to the norm. Um, which means that they are more expensive, they are socially perhaps awkward or alternative, uh, they don't work that well, they're not so commercial, so there's all sorts of um, aspects or characteristics to a lot of these innovations that m make them alternative to the norm. Mm -hmm. um, so the transition governance uh, debate is also a, a lot about mainstreaming and how we take the lessons learned uh, um, from all the experimentation of these, these change makers to institutionalize it, to mainstream it. Mm -hmm. um, 
So eating a more healthy uh, organic diet that is low meat and uh, uh, high in seasonal regional uh, food. How do we mainstream that um, also uh, breaking through the, the powers of the industrial food system? Yeah, yeah. Same for mobility. We know uh, we can design cities uh, in such a way that they prioritize walking, uh, cycling, uh, we have all these shared uh, uh, platforms. We go to, can go to zero emission. So uh, potentially we could have cities that organize a collective mobility system that reduces 60-70% of the cars in the city and uh, is zero emission and um, inclusive in a way that it's affordable and accessible for all citizens. So that's possible. So we can imagine these futures and then the governance challenge, of course, becomes how to organize that. Because these food cooperatives or these cycling initiatives, they're, they're vulnerable, they're small, and they're not supported by the market. Yeah. And uh, the government, at least in our country, is, is uh, facilitating the market. Um, in most countries. Right? In most countries. <laughs> yeah, so they, they don't really have a, um, a strong vision from which they uh, uh, also use their authoritarian uh, uh, mm -hmm. instruments to change. Mm -hmm. And that's also because government is part of the problem uh, in, in, a, in a way, or they're part of the regime. Yep, yeah. I mean, and then you could, so that's that's uh, certainly uh, one way of reading the government and probably one that I would sympathize with. But uh, other people might say, okay, but they are actually, they're elected. You know, and they're elected, uh, assuming we're thinking, talking about yeah. democracies. And I'm guessing for the most part, the work that you do is in democracies, because um, this is where, you know, ideas supposedly can um, move from being, you know, just an idea and, and, and making its way into something that actually has power on the ground. And people say, OK, you're, you're talking about a group of change makers who you said yourself were often relatively elite. Certainly they have the possibility in their lives to experiment with, with things because yeah. you know, they, have, they don't have these pressing material concerns. Concerns. And so you're taking, you know, these sort of, you know, elite green elite concerns, and you're trying to find ways to subvert existing democratic principles, you know, surely yes. if you want to bring about change, you should be using existing democratic um, governance models and not trying to make new ones, which sound a little bit undemocratic. Yes, um, then you have to make a distinction between the formal democracy and the informal democracy. So. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think often the formal democracy is made too important. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the election cycle, it's the politicians, it's, it's the way we formally uh, uh, take decisions. And I find it a very important uh, mechanism, but it's uh, uh, completely designed for uh, stability. So it's the, 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 the formal democratic system is geared towards short-term incremental improvements and facilitating the market. Mm -hmm. Um, the transition governance idea is based on um, a big uh, debate that emerged in the, the 1990s about the, the network society and the democratic deficit, they called it. So the idea that, and, and scholars started to become aware that around this formal system, there's a lot of stuff also happening. Lobbying, networking, uh, companies may, uh, uh, turn, influencing the agenda, uh, all sorts of advocacy. And the idea of transitions is uh, 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 let's try to use this kind of self-organizing power in society uh, for a good cause. Uh, 
-hmm. So you can also uh, 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 use transition management uh, like the neoconservatives in the US did. They use the same kind of logic to uh, uh, basically get Trump into a position, yeah. uh, uh, create a new discourse, uh, uh, start experimentation, create networks, um, and then uh, start to influence uh, the formal institutions and system. So um, we see it more as complementary. Mm -hmm. um, and these... Uh, um, alternatives that we look at, they are often driven by by uh, people with good values. Mm -hmm. They want to do something good for society, but that also makes them sometimes naive um, and less strategic. Um, so the transition governance idea is to strategize uh, this uh, uh, undercurrent in society that is actually already building a sustainable economy. Um, and then thereby create the, the policy support base and the ideas and the program that can then be uh, uh, fed into the formal democratic system. Um, so a lot of decisions need to take place there. But if people themselves decide to leave the car at home and drive their bike, they don't need a politician. Mm -hmm. um, and if then a couple of people create a bike sharing scheme that gives access to other people, they also don't need a politician. So a lot of the decisions are individual decisions that we can make as citizens or in groups. And yeah, so the, to me, the democratic check is more in, in, is it good for people and as much people as possible, uh, rather than is it uh, approved by some bureaucrat uh, or some politician um, for which I probably didn't even vote. Yes, <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, and I think actually, I mean, I'm, 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 uh, yeah, pushing you a bit like this, but I actually feel the critique of, you know, people involved in green or environmental issues as, as somehow being maybe too middle class um, is somehow a little bit of an unfair critique when you think about the forces that they're fighting against, which is very often um, not actually. I don't know the the masses of, of of working class, if you like, but it's actually the powerful corporate uh, industrial elites, yeah. the the real elites of the world, and yeah. those are the people who are, of course, investing heavily in supporting certain politicians or certain political parties, yeah. and are very much invested in traditional uh, or traditional whatever last 150 years or so economic structures yes. and uh, and democratic structures, and and so this so the battle is 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 very heavily weighted actually on their side, and I suppose, and this is probably something that you get asked a lot, so you see some super interesting super local maybe becoming translocal and you have to say okay I can maybe you can scale it up to a certain degree to a, a city level or a sit or a you know a regional level how do you face the challenge or how do you, how do you tackle the sort of global structures that are pitted against it in terms of interest yeah yeah, um, yeah that's the interesting thing about this translocal it's like a, a, a micro growth that is happening also below the radar you might say but also yeah. Uh, um, uh, slowly but surely undermining the, the power base of yeah. the, 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 these global regimes. Um, but like you said, the, these, the, 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 these uh, elites of, of a fossil linear global economy of growth, mm -hmm. basically, uh, they are also very uh, um, uh, clever in mobilizing the working class against change. Um, so it's also a battle of ideas, um, and, and uh, how is it happening in developing countries? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think 
theoretically, but also from our experience, there is much more space for a rapid emerging uh, 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 growth of this translocal community. So, uh, because of these working classes and these uh, vested institutions are maybe less developed or less present, uh, so if people um, uh, get access to the knowledge and the capacities to build their own, create their own new sustainable economy that is translocal, um, if it can happen anywhere, then, can, then it can happen, for example, in Suriname, where I'm, I'm uh, lecturing or uh, we're doing projects in sub-Saharan Africa, uh, uh, in slums. Um, there's a great movement called Slum Dwellers International, and it's about this. So the marginalized and the oppressed give them the tools to self-organize to become independent and it sounds ide idealistic but it, it, we can see it in a very practical way in many places mm -hmm. and i guess it's also like we, we when we think about solutions and existing solutions that are out there if you are in you know part of the you know sub-saharan africa i mean the, the context i know much better is india but if you find cities in india you talk about I mean, very much like locally collected water collecting right. rainwater treating it to a certain degree and using it these are the sort of things when we when we're talking like in in europe like about oh trying to have cities that actually you know produce what they consume and so on these things actually already exist in many places yes. in the world yeah and so like there are there are ideas there yeah. and and uh actually we're also involved in water uh, project yeah. in india and, and one of the things they they uh, uh, the new urbanization they import the the, the western urbanization to some extent and, and putting concrete and pipes everywhere uh, and they are uh, destroying or neglecting their old rain uh, water harvesting infrastructures with natural filtration and ecological uh, uh, purification and then and it it all gets clogged with plastics and then uh, but there's uh, quite a number of growing initiatives that are uh, uh, rediscovering this and and involving the community in reappreciating these old structures and then uh, adding maybe new technology so sometimes we say this translocal uh, 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 shift towards a, a sustainable economy, whatever it looks like, we're, we're figuring it out as we move along, it, it has an, a sense of forward to the past. So we need to reconnect with the local, uh, with a lot of old practices, uh, uh, local identities, uh, but we can combine it now with uh, new technologies. Um, and, and this is the exciting uh, discovery process that we are on, uh, uh, on a global scale, I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I have two two final questions. Then they're both related to the the idea of transition about um, about what that might mean for for people and how people might think about it. So one time we're talking about a transition to um, uh, an environmentally sustainable future. Does that also mean a transition to something that's not capitalism? Uh, that's uh, that's not a final quote. That's an opening in all a whole new book. I, I think definitely. So transition is in the eye of the beholder. So uh, uh, it really depends on where you are and what you look at, whether or not you can call something a transition. And the academic point would also be that's for future historians to assess whether uh, uh, they would call this period a transition or not. To me, it's uh, uh, without any doubt that there are elements in our capitalist system that are unsustainable. And I see all sorts of signs of change, but there is a hardcore regime that, of course, uh, uh, will fight to the end to prevent it. 
Yeah. So the, re- the reason, and the other thing about transition, which interests me, is that when I uh, first started hearing the word a lot, it wasn't in the um, the realms of um, sustainability, but it was actually when I moved to live in um, the former socialist uh, yep. part of, of Europe and I, in Hungary in a post-transition or you know you know yep. the, whatever you know, and and this was very much transitioned from quote-unquote state socialism to yep. the market economy. And um, after about 20, 25 years of this, people became very tired of hearing the word transition. Yes. And it's like, stop calling it transition because actually this is the reality, you know? Because yep. like, you, also people were blaming things on the transition. Yes. So people were saying, yeah, okay, there's corruption, but that's just because of the transition. Or, you know, yes. yeah, or there's too much pollution in the river, but that's because of the legacy of, of, the, of the old regime and, and, and its transition. Uh, that's that, that's a, a really a difficult problem because for, for us, um, so whether you call it transition or transformation it doesn't really uh, uh, matter we we get stuck with the word transition but it's a particular uh, mental model uh, based on which you can have a more structured uh, dialogue and analysis of a very complex messy process of societal change so it's a way a sense-making device Um, but in the jargon and how we use it it becomes something that we want in your context, in, in the Eastern European, I think it's definitely a, a, um, a process that we can analyze as a, a transition, but not as a sustainability transition. Because you, you shift it to a, a different type of regime that's uh, also not sustainable, because people are unhappy, it's not working. Uh, so start thinking about the next transition I would say yeah but I mean my, my maybe my point to where the disappointment comes from and maybe this is where the hard sell is going to be about transitioning to a sustainable future is that there was a there was an end point in, in mind when this sort of you know political yeah. economic transformation take place that was an idealized end form which was you know the Western European utopia which never existed but the, at least that was a there was a point where people said okay we are moving to there and now you're in a moment where and we talked about a bit like I haven't used the word experiment a few times or you know so so this is an, a non-linear, right? So it's a it's a non-linear transition, and so this might be quite scary for many people. You're asking people to create a leap of faith. You say, okay, even assuming that people understand that our current yeah, structures yeah. are destroying the planet, leap out into the unknown. Like this is, and this is how. And how yeah, do you deal with this? That, yeah. That's that's uh, also the explanation of a lot of the, the the societal anxiety and uncertainty and unrest. But what happened in the past and and uh, uh, in in transition that we studied is that this convergence on on what B is. So if if you mm-hmm. think of a transition as a process from A to B. Uh, then what B is, is also an emergent uh, 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 process. So uh, you call the, the, the Eastern European transition a, a, a more planned one. Oh, people had well, an idea planned, from A yeah. to B, yeah. but basically it was disruptive. So it, it, it happened to a lot of uh, regimes, and then the default was the Western model. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, like uh, what uh, my my point on developing uh, countries, why uh, uh, wasn't there an alternative sense of direction uh, um, uh, of your own kind of new blended economy, for example? Um, so, I would say this uh, direction of a sustainable sustainable economy and the idea that a sustainable economy is possible. That is uh, part of uh, uh, what we try to achieve with transition uh, uh, governance as well. Too. And, and to me, this process is almost inevitable, um, which doesn't mean that we can predict the outcomes or, or uh, um, the pathway or the speed. We could try to influence that, but that we are shift moving away from this fossil linear economy 
um, and that more and more people start to dis see, discover these alternatives, that is happening and inevitably that will uh, um, uh, lead to increased momentum Wonderful. and resistance. <laughs> so the fight is still on. All right, sorry. No, that's great. It's, a, it's good to end on a on an optimistic mode, right? Resistance is there, and you know, structural structural conditions for change are there. It's yes. what we do with it, right? Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dirk. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Okay, Kate. So you were listening to that conversation. I'm back now in Budapest. Uh, what do you think was interesting that me and Dirk spoke about? Yeah, Dirk's story and and, and what he does is super inspirational. I thought. Unlike a lot of the other urban urban fellow Urbana fellows that we've been talking to, um, like last month's with Orshi, um, who have a more practical approach on solving and, and addressing just and sustainable um, city issues, I think what he does is provide this theoretical framework within which to understand this issue. I especially thought it was interesting when he was talking about kind of transition economies and transition um, in developing or in emerging countries versus um, developed countries and cities uh, here in Europe. You know, we might think that in, in developed economies, that it might be easier to go through this type of transition because we have the financial resources and we're able to disseminate information um, more clearly and, and, and maybe easier. But we also operate in very rigid systems. And so that actually might uh, might do us a disservice when we're thinking about kind of structurally changing the system within which we live. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was also thinking related to that, it's, it's a little bit the, the case that for a long time we lived for many decades, we lived the idea that the, the third world or, you know, the global south or, you know, the developing world, however mm -hmm, it's been mm -hmm, termed mm -hmm. differently, is somehow in the process of catching up to the final point in, you know, development, which is us in the West. Um, this was sort of, you know, your sort of 1960s, 1970s approach to development. And then maybe then we, we had a bit of a realization that actually, you know what, maybe these global inequalities are here to stay. Maybe there are many different paths into the future. Um, and now I think it's probably a little bit more of a turn where it's a bit like, okay, the problem with thinking like that was that then we somehow, you know, the sort of anti-development approach in a sense is that it stopped people from from having like sort of a transformative approach to dreaming about, you know, cert certain futures or, you know, certain sort of wide scale um, transformations inside society. So what's interesting, I think, to think about all these changes, like how they're going on history and the relationship between the so-called first world and third world is that now if we're saying, okay, we have to transition and also, but everyone has to transition, then it's uh, in a sense, it could be, and I'm now being extremely sort of yeah optimistic for myself, my usually <laughs> cynical self, is that like this has to be a global transformation transformation it's not like okay in the third world now you have to transform your economies to catch up with the first world we all have to do it you know or we're all screwed basically so it's a global it's a global Absolutely. challenge it's a global challenge that we have very different uh, maybe there's different you know structural conditions in in different places but it's something that we all have to do so i think in terms of looking at the long sweep of development and how we've viewed the idea of development in different parts of the world in relationship to ourselves actually saying that we all need to transform into something is actually quite a interesting sort of global take on on the idea of development itself. And that we could all learn from someone else. I think it's pretty humbling um, to understand that a lot of the things that maybe are new to us in terms of development, other countries that maybe are, you know, it's quote unquote emerging, have been developing and have been doing for a while now. And so I think it, it does lend itself to kind of a new perspective and um, more space for conversation between, you know, very different parts of the world. 
yeah, yeah. And uh, but it's a very um, how to say it's, it's an optimistic outview um, more broadly, should we say? But what do you what do you think? Do you think where's where's the role of optimism there in the? Yeah. yeah. So 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 this is this is the challenge. I think I think Dirk is an incredibly optimistic guy, and in in his in his industry and in his work, I think that's kind of key and that that's essential. I think he's very cynical about institutions and very optimistic about individuals. And it kind of lends to the question of, you know, are, are individuals, you know, able to kind of cooperate and work together and not be maybe, you know, uh, handheld by the government who wants us to cooperate? I mean, tax breaks, subsidies, and, and different laws, they kind of hold us accountable to caring for the public and caring for the greater good. And that is a very optimistic take in itself. Um, but could we you know, maintain cooperation when government isn't necessarily kind of forcing us to do so? But that's, you know, that's obviously a, a, a larger philosophical question. Yeah, I guess, I guess it's also the case, like, I guess even the, the terminology change makers or, or city makers that was being used in this sort of discourses, they're, they're quite individualized in the sense they're not mm. talking necessarily about organizations. I, I, I guess there's, of course, an important role there for organizations. I know from reading some of the, the literature that's produced, they see different parts of civil society being involved in different ways with all of this the question is is power i guess and um and if we and like different whatever different forces which are um exerting themselves on individuals lives and so this is always the case when everyone talks about people involved in environmental movements they say it's a bit middle class or a bit like mm. once you have your your base material um, conditions sorted, you know, house over your head and mm -hmm. decent salary, then mm -hmm. you can start to worry about the environment. And otherwise, people have to, just by means of necessity, have to first care for family and, and, and themselves. Um, but I suppose um, it's it's also it's also the case that we don't, but then we do find amazing, inspirational and interesting people everywhere, like who are doing all these things. Absolutely. And I guess we, we need to find a way, I guess, of harnessing those sorts of yeah, those sorts of energies, if you like. Um, well, and yeah, and yeah. Citizen, cynicism yeah. won't get us there anyway, so it's no, maybe no, no. better to be more optimistic than cynical because that's the only path forward that we have. Yeah, I guess. I mean, although, although uh, I guess it's like, I guess critical rather than cynical maybe. Like, um, but um, yeah, I, I think uh, there's only so much space you can have, I guess you can critique forever, but eventually you have to do something as well, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's about trying to, I, I guess it's trying to, trying to build the conditions from which those people who are really struggling to transform actually have the resources and the space and the time to do so um we can't expect it i guess from everybody but it's uh, it's i guess it's a question of um yeah, maybe maybe we need to enter an age of optimism. I don't know. <laughs> well, and, and like, but that's what Dirk that, that's what uh, Dirk is trying to do. I think he's trying to go from kind of these individual chain ma change makers doing good things to change actually happening, mm -hmm. which is only possible when a larger base of people kind of accepts it and and, and is involved. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I do think that's that's really what the essence of what he's trying to tackle with his work. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to be speaking to many of those people in future podcasts as well. But the discussion isn't just between us and the people on our podcast. It's also for those of you listening at home. So how can they get in touch with us? Absolutely. We want you to get involved into the conversation. So you can email us through the contact form found at our website, urbana-arena.eu or at urbana at ceu.edu. And you can also find us on Twitter or Instagram at the handle arena underscore urban. Great. Thanks so much for listening and thanks for this conversation, Kate. Bye. Bye. This podcast is part of the three-year project Urbana, Urban Arenas for Sustainable and Just Cities. It was funded by the European Union's Horizon 2020 Research and Innovation Programme.